Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Devaki has never before looked so brilliant and jubilant. Purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada. The Lord says in the Bhagavad Gita, Yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata abhyutanam dharmasya tadatmanam sarijamyaham. Whenever and wherever there is a decline in religious practice, O descendant of Bharat, and a predominant rise of irreligion, at that time I descend myself. In this age, at the present moment, there are inordinate discrepancies in the discharge of human duties. Human life is meant for God-realization. But unfortunately, the materialistic civilization is stressing only the senses of the body, not understanding the living force within the body. As clearly stated in Bhagavad Gita, Within the body is the body's proprietor, the living force, which is more important. But human society has become so fallen that instead of understanding the living force within the body, people have become busy with external things. This is a discrepancy in human duties. Therefore, Krishna has taken birth or taken shelter within the womb of the Krishna consciousness movement. Men of Kamsa's class, therefore, are very much afraid and are busy trying to stop this movement, especially in the Western countries. One politician has remarked, that the Krishna consciousness movement is spreading like an epidemic and that if not checked immediately, within 10 years it may capture governmental power. There is, of course, such potency in the Krishna consciousness movement, as stated by authorities. Kali Kale Nama Rupe Krishna Avatar. In this age, Krishna has appeared in the Hare Krishna Mahamantra. The Krishna consciousness movement is spreading like wildfire all over the world, and it will go on doing so. Men who are like Kangsa are very much afraid of the movement's progress and acceptance by the younger generation. But as Krishna could not be killed by Kamsa, this movement cannot be checked by men of Kamsa's class. The movement will go on increasing more and more provided the leaders of the movement remain firmly Krishna conscious by following the regulative principles and the primary activities of chanting the Hare Krishna Mahamantra regularly. Translation. The Supreme Personality of Godhead was within her womb. Devaki illuminated the entire atmosphere in the place where she was confined. Seeing her jubilant, pure and smiling, Kamsa thought, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Vishnu, who is now within her, will kill me. Devaki has never before looked so brilliant and jubilant. Om Ajnantimirandasya Gyananjana Chalakaya Takshurum Militham Jena Tasmoy Sri Guruve Namaha
Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna says, Yani Shasarabhutanam Tasyam Jagrati Samyam. That the materialistic person who is attached to the process of exploiting the resources of material nature. And the devotee of the Lord, who with all humility is aspiring to offer everything for the pleasure of Bhagavan Sri Krishna, they will perceive everything of this creation with different eyes. The devotee will see the night of the materialist to be his day. And the materialist will see the day of the devotee to be his night. Because the materialistic person is always awakened to how he can obtain more and more for his own self-interest. The, the senses, Krishna says in Gita, are insatiable. They burn like fire. You could never have enough of material enjoyment. However much you have, it only aggravates the longing for more. Prahlad Maharaj compares the pleasures of this world to be like a very diseased, itching condition of the skin. And trying to satisfy is like scratching that itching sensation. When you scratch a terrible itch, it feels most relieving. It even feels greatly pleasurable while you are doing. But in the process, you are aggravating the disease. And the itch will grow more and more and more. So in the same way, the materialistic mentality of this world is to lord it over material nature, to want to usurp as much as we can and call it our own and enjoy it and enjoy it with our loved ones who are extensions of my own bodily sense gratification. There is concentrated sense gratification and there is extended sense gratification. Concentrated sense gratification means that I am this body and whatever is in relationship to this body is mine. Therefore, whatever I have must be for my pleasure, to pacify my burning senses and my restless mind. So concentrated sense gratification is based on the principle of I. Extended sense gratification is based on the principle of mine.
that this is my children, this is my family, this is my countrymen. So let me give pleasure to them. The more pleasure they will receive, the more I will receive because they're mine. I am the proprietor, I am the provider. Just as God is providing for all living beings, and He is the supreme enjoyer, when we think that we are providing, that also gives us a sense of sense gratification. But that is material. <clears throat> Therefore, a materialistic person is always thinking in terms of, of concentrated and extended sense gratification. But a devotee of the Lord never considers himself to be the proprietor, the provider, or the enjoyer. He knows that Krishna is the source of everything, and Krishna is the object of everything that he has created. And therefore, a devotee of the Lord is selfless. So therefore, everything in this world that we see a devotee will see it one way and a materialistic person will see it just the opposite way. A devotee sees a flower and thinks how beautiful this will look on Krishna or on my guru, the representative of Krishna. And a materialistic person will think, oh, how nice this flower will look on me, or in my room, or on my wife. If my wife is beautiful, it will, only, it will give me more sense gratification. But when devotees decorate the deity, they are doing it for Krishna's sense gratification and for the upliftment of all living beings who will come to see him. So here we find that when Krishna entered into the womb of Devaki, she became luminous and she became joyful. It is described here uh, that <clears throat> she was jubilant, she was pure, she was smiling, and the effulgence coming from her form illuminated the entire atmosphere, although they were in a prison. <clears throat> you see, when Krishna takes birth in this world, sometimes in a very symbolic way, he comes in the, wor in the most terrible circumstance. Most people in this world, the last place they would ever want to be is in a prison. It's the most terrible circumstance. But that is where Krishna appeared. Why is this? To show us that it is in the most hopeless, dark conditions of life that Krishna appears in our life. 
As long as we are thinking everything is very nice, everything is good, why should Krishna bother? This whole material world is a prison. When we recognize it's a prison, then Krishna will appear in our life. But as long as we think it's a nice place to enjoy, Krishna will let us go on enjoying, at least our futile attempt to enjoy. So sometimes when devotees say that this material world is like a prison house, materialist people object. They think this is very negative. They think this is very terrible. But we tell them, no, Krishna appears in prison houses. You see, Vasudeva and Devaki were in a desperate condition. Krishna appears to those devotees who call out for him helplessly in a desperate condition. He doesn't appear to those devotees who in a very relaxed manner chant his holy name. So here in this prison house, <clears throat> it became beautiful like the kingdom of God. Spiritual light was emanating every corner of this prison cell. <clears throat> Actually, that prison became the kingdom of God because it was the place of the residence of Sri Krishna. And it was beautiful. And this is also very important to understand. It is not where we are but it is our consciousness that will create either beauty or degradation. Wherever a great devotee of the Lord is remembering Krishna, Krishna is manifesting through that person's heart and that place becomes the spiritual world. So many times I remember there was one devotee, his name was Chedi Raj, and he was a very, very sincere devotee. He became a devotee of the Hare Krishna movement in 1969 on 2nd Avenue in New York. And he was always so enthusiastic to serve. He was always striving to be the humble servant of the devotees. Although he was a very, he was senior to practically everyone who joined in the later years, in the 70s, what to speak of the 80s, he never thought that he deserved any position. He just wanted to serve. So he was doing Sankirtan, which is a very menial service and traveling in van, and in his van um, he would have one or two people traveling with him. And uh, sometimes they were very, very junior godbrothers to him, or sometimes they were, God, they were disciples of one of his godbrothers. But every morning he would rise very early, he would offer his obeisances, he would start chanting the holy names, and when his 
whenever, whoever he was with, whether it was in a temple, whether it was living in a car, whether it was living in a van, whether it was living in some camp, park, whenever his person he was traveling with or associating with would rise, when they would go to take bath, he would fold up their sleeping bags, wash their whole area, and do all these nice service. When they'd come back, everything was done for them. This was every morning. It wasn't that he was doing it for show. It was his, it was his bliss to serve the devotees. And he was so busy glorifying whoever he was with to others that he hardly had time to glorify Krishna directly. <laughs> Seriously. Usually when you're with somebody for a long time, you start getting tired with them. You, they start getting on your nerves. And then you, you start finding all sorts of faults. Traveling in a little car with someone for two, three, four, five, six months. You start, you start very selectively analyzing each fault in that person. That's human nature. Familiarity breeds contempt. But he would never do like this. He'd be traveling when he would come back to New Vrindavan. He would simply be talking about all the wonderful pastimes of his partners. Never say anything bad. Always good. He was so enthusiastic simply to serve. And how wonderful whenever the kirtan of the Lord would go. <clears throat> I remember at Mangalarti, when Mangalarti would start very, very slow, he couldn't contain himself. He would be dancing. He was just such a true Vaishnava. So at one time, he, as it is historically consistent, because the way he was preaching was not according to the um, physical laws, he was preaching in a, in a no trespassing area, he was put in prison. And when he was in prison, he was given, I believe, about six months in prison. And it was not a very nice prison. So everyone was feeling so bad, such a great soul, such a wonderful devotee, why this is happening to him. And devotees were thinking, let us go to, to enliven him, to inspire him. And some devotees left from Nuvrindavan and went to this place. It was about a 12-hour drive. And they were thinking, let us bring light and hope and happiness of the association of devotees into his life. And when he came into the visiting room, he was so effulgent with light that the whole, the devotees saw that the whole prison house was just lit up by his presence. And as he was walking to them, all these other prisoners, as he was walking by, they were all go saying to him, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, with smiles on their faces. And he was just beaming with spiritual energy. And these devotees, they felt, they felt like Rahu planet before the full moon. They were thinking, he is so full of life, so full of joy, so full of light. They felt like they were just like shadows, comparison. And 
they became spiritually surcharged. <clears throat> like anything, they were practically, when they came in there, they were kind of morose, thinking, oh, our poor godbrother. But when they, when they, halfway through the, uh, the conversation, they were thinking, we are the poor godbrothers. He's with Krishna. They were inspired. They were enlightened. He did all the talking. It ended up, they were just asking him a few questions, how to do this, and he was just preaching. And they left that place just surcharged with spiritual energy. And as they were leaving, they offered their prostrated obeisances to the prison house, because they knew it had become the holy dam. And as they were leaving, because they were in robes, some of them, people, guards, prisoners, they were saying, Hare Krishna, I know you're Chedi. He's a very nice man. What he would do is in the courtyard where all these crazy types of people, they lift weights to have big muscles so that they can defend themselves better. And they gamble, whatever, with cigarettes or whatever. In the courtyard, he would just go sit down and just start having kirtan. And he was just a little skinny person, very thin, very small, less than me. And he would just start having kirtan, and people just thought he was completely crazy. What is this person? Just alone. And pretty soon he had so many people sitting with him chanting, reading books, so many wonderful ways. So this is the nature of Krishna consciousness that when one has Krishna in his heart, he becomes illuminated. And it doesn't matter where that person is. Such a person makes hell into heaven. So Devaki, because Krishna was in her womb, because Krishna was in her heart, even though in a prison house, she became, the whole prison house became <clears throat> effulgent, like the Vaikuntha planets. And a devotee could perceive that and appreciate it and enjoy it. And Kamsa saw it too. He saw the same thing, but through different eyes. <coughs> to him, that jubilance, that smiling face, and that light emanating from Devaki was a great threat. It depressed him. It saddened him. It created fear in his heart. When a devotee hears transcendental knowledge, it creates faith. When a materialist hears, a materialist who is envious, if, a, if an ordinary materialist hears it, an innocent person, it creates faith too. But if a person is envious, it creates doubt. The holy name of the Lord and the glories of the Lord for an innocent person it creates hope, but for an envious person, it creates fear. So Kamsa was so envious. He knew that what belonged to Krishna, he was usurping. And he was always afraid that Krishna would come to reclaim it. 
Therefore, when he experienced the presence of Krishna, he became so frightened, so fearful. He was thinking that this is the, this will be the cause of my death. When the devotees see Krishna, they understand that here is the cause of my eternal life. But for an envious man, here is the cause of my death. At Nugandavan, Prabhupada's palace was built, and even the most sinful people, if they're just sinful in an innocent way, which means they're not envious, they're just fallen, they come and they say, oh, this is the most beautiful place we've ever seen. We love this place. Tell us about it. Tell us about your guru. They're attracted. It gives them hope, gives them joy. They feel a sense of love for the first time in their life just by being there. But those who are envious, those who are threatened, just the, just the sight of it, just the thought of it depresses them, makes them furious and fearful. They want to destroy it by all means. Therefore, there are always these two classes of men, the demons and the devotees. Prahlad was such a wonderful, loving... Can you imagine how lovable Prahlad Maharaj must have been? You have read his teachings. Can you imagine a boy five years old, just a little tiny child, five years old, who has all those qualities, crying in love for Krishna, preaching the glories of Krishna with his, with his high um, childlike voice, how attractive. Anybody who would see Prahlad, their tears would come to their eyes. They would just want to embrace him. Huh? And that's the way everyone was with Prahlad, except Hiranyakashipu. He wanted to kill him. He wanted to destroy him by any means. He wanted to torture him. Why? Because he was envious of that effulgence that source of the effulgence of Prahlad, which is Krishna. And of course, even amongst devotees, this propensity is deep-rooted. And we must be very careful to purify. Sometimes when we see another devotee getting the special mercy of the Lord or special mercy of the Guru and becoming specially empowered, we become disturbed by this. We become envious of this. We think, why? Why him? Why not me? This is due to so many lifetimes of demoniac association, these very unfortunate um, attributes are still within us. Therefore, Krishna says we must conquer the lower self with the higher self. We must use our good intelligence to understand that if this person is getting the special mercy of Krishna and Guru, it's that mercy that's so beautiful and glorious. It's not the person. It's the mercy that's manifesting through him. And if we're envious of that person, we're actually envious of the mercy he's receiving, which means we're envious of the mercy, which means we're envious of Krishna, who's the source of that mercy. 
but we don't see it that way because we want to disconnect everything from Krishna. But this is our tendency. Therefore, the solution to this dilemma, which is within the hearts of every conditioned soul and neophyte devotee to some extent, is we must, as an austerity, learn with our body, our mind, and our words to glorify Krishna wherever he is appearing and to glorify his devotees. Srila Rupa Goswami explains <coughs> that the, one of the first and most important qualities of a truly Krishna conscious person is he no longer has the tendency to find fault in others. Such a strong tendency we have to find fault. And whenever we find fault, why? It's only for one purpose to give ourselves a better position. If we find fault in another, then we, we take a, we're, we're putting ourselves in a position of better respectability. The process of elimination. If everybody else is a rascal, then I, only I am good. And essentially, that is what the ego is seeking that enjoyment spirit that I am God, I am the one, I am the glorious. Therefore, this is the mentality of Kamsa. He was seeing the beauty, the light, the effulgence of Devaki, and instead of seeing God through her and offering his respectful obeisances, he became envious. So we have to be very, very careful of this tendency. When God is manifesting through one of our God-brothers or God-sisters, when God is manifesting in a special way through another devotee, when the mercy of the Guru is manifesting in a wonderful way, we should not be like Kamsa and feel threatened by that, feel that it will minimize our effects in this world. We should simply see Krishna. How wonderful. If Krishna chooses to manifest himself through this devotee, that's wonderful. Let him manifest everywhere, through everyone. This world needs so many manifestations of Krishna's mercy. This is the whole purpose of our preaching, is for Krishna to manifest more and more in this world. So we're preaching like this, we're giving our lives to preach like this, and then when somebody who's, who's near to us, Krishna manifests through, we think, oh, this is terrible. Fearful. Huh? We should be joyful. It should be our greatest pleasure in life. That is the difference between one who has the mentality of Devaki and one who has the mentality of Kamsa. Krishna is Kamsa Nishudana. He's the killer of Kamsa. So we should call upon Krishna to kill these Kamsa-like attributes within our own heart. Kamsa's attribute was he was envious of God. And therefore he was envious of Devaki 
in whom God was manifesting. Krishna says in the Srimad Bhagavatam that one should consider the Acharya to be my very self and one should never be envious of him. <coughs> Acharya Mandijaniyam. <coughs> Because factually, there is no difference between the Guru and Krishna. On one level, the Guru has two, has two um, perspectives. On one hand, he is the eternal servant of the Lord, the surrendered soul. But on the other hand, he's none different than Krishna. He's one with Krishna. Krishna is fully manifesting himself through. Whatever we do for the Guru, we're doing for Krishna. Whatever we do against the Guru, we do against Krishna. So in this way, he's non-different than Krishna, although he still remains the eternal servant. So in this way, we should understand that to, extent, to the extent any Vaishnava is receiving the mercy of Krishna, that Vaishnava is, that mercy is non-different than Krishna. That light, that joy, that empowerment is non-different than Krishna. I was discussing with Chediraj of the story of Chediraj in the prison. He had about 30 prisoners chanting Hare Krishna. taking prasad with him. They would just, he had them vegetarians, they would just take the veget, they would all give their food to him first, he would offer it, then he would give it back to them. Huh? They, were, they were so happy. Some of them, when it was time to get out of prison, they were almost thinking, maybe I should stay. Where am I going to meet somebody like this out there? Huh? And when he got out of prison, practically every two, three days, he would get all letters from the prison asking for instructions, asking this, asking that, for blessings, for the mercy of Krishna, just offering obeisances. But at the same time, there were people who were trying to destroy him, thinking, you're ruining everything. So, in this world, we can know there will always be Kamsa and there will always be the devotees. Prabhupada says, the demons and the devotees, two classes of men, they always exist in this material world. <clears throat> From the beginning of Satya Yuga to the end of Kali Yuga, the numbers may be different proportions, but there's always demons and there's always devotees. <clears throat> There's always those who want to serve and love God, and there's always those who are envious of God. It is said that in Satya Yuga, demons and devotees were on different planets. In Treta Yuga, demons and devotees were in different countries. In Dwapa Yuga, demons and devotees are in the same family. But in Kali Yuga, demons and devotees are in the same heart. There are demons in our heart, there are, there are devotees in our heart. 
On one hand, we want to be Krishna conscious. On the other hand, we're envious of those who are Krishna conscious. So how to solve this problem? We have to take shelter of the process of glorifying Krishna and glorifying his devotees. Through that process, Krishna will see. <coughs> he is Madhusudan. He is Kangshanishudan. He is the killer of Kamsa. If we really humbly try to take shelter of serving the Vaishnavas, being the servant of the servant, and glorifying his name and glorifying his devotees, through this process, Krishna will see, oh, he really wants me to kill that Kamsa within him. In Mathura, there is a place called Kamstil. <coughs> it's a hill. And on that hill, Krishna took Kamsa from the dais, the raised dais, by the hair, dragged him into the wrestling arena, and with his mighty fists, he pounded him to death. So let our heart become like this Kamstil, this holy, like, let it be such a holy place, whereby our actions of humble service to Guru and Vaishnava, and by our sincere crying out of Krishna's name, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare, may we invite Krishna to kill the demons of envy within our own hearts. And then we will become joyful, we will become ecstatic at seeing however, wherever and whoever Krishna decides to manifest from. Is there any questions? Yes? I'm not one to judge anyone, but Prabhupada gave classification that they're innocent demons. Devotees are those who accept the personality of Godhead and accept the position of his humble servant. And demons are those who are trying to enjoy the property of God. But of demons, they are the envious and the innocent. <coughs> they may be acting, even a pious person, if he's not a devotee of God, according to the Vedas, he's a demon, he's an asura. Definitely. Unless he's, he's accepting the authority of God. If he's in the mode of goodness, but he's accepting the authority of God, then he's a devotee. But if he's not, he's a demon. That's what the Acharyas in the scriptures say. But if he's not an envious person, if he's not against God, if he's willing to hear, then he's considered an innocent demon. And by that innocence, by the grace of association of devotees, spiritually minded people, that innocent heart will become transformed into a devotee.
you accept God, you're a devotee. You're just a fallen devotee. There's such thing as a devotee that is influenced by demoniac tendencies or demoniac forces. We all are, unless you're a pure devotee, to some extent you are. Every desire for sense gratification is demoniac. Unless you're a pure devotee, there's influences of demoniac forces within your life. But you're a devotee. And because you're in, if somebody is innocent, then they can... It's like when we go out, so many materialistic people, sometimes the most sinful people are innocent. And the most, and the most, and the most pious people are really envious and proud, right? They're actually more demoniac. have to cultivate faith. Faith means to, to, to accept, to have conviction beyond your sense perception in the grace of God. What it is that you require for your spiritual help is not what you may think it is. When you cry out for Krishna to help you, it is 100% guaranteed he will help you. But how he helps you, he will do what's best for your Krishna consciousness. He won't always do what's best for your sense gratification. Hmm? He helped the Pandavas by banishing them to the forest for 14 years. Huh? So we should have that unshakable faith which is developed by hearing in the association of devotees that everything Krishna does is perfect and he's always the friend and well-wisher of his devotee and if we are sincerely calling out for Krishna's name we should know that Krishna will reciprocate just according to what is best for me huh? If you knew what was best for you, then why should you call out for Krishna? When you call out for Krishna with humility, you're calling out, Krishna, you know what's best. I don't know what's best. That is surrender. So the most important thing is that we develop faith. Faith is the foundation, the building block for spiritual progress. In regard to Jagadananda's question, 
Prabhupada explains in Chaitanya Charitamrita that there are sannyasis in India who have never broke the regulative principles, who have been celibate their whole life, who have given huge amounts of charity in philanthropic ways. He said, but they will not hear the message of Krishna. They want to be God. They will not open their ears or their hearts. And they're even against the, the movement of bhakti. Huh? And he said, I came to the West and I found people who were engaged in eating meat, having illicit sex regularly, profusely. Some of them were alcoholics, drug addicts. They were gambling their whole lives away by such a whimsical lifestyle. They never heard of God. They didn't know anything about charity. But they were innocent enough because they didn't really have much to be proud of that they opened their hearts to hear and they became great Vaishnavas. 